Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, thank you for the privilege and opportunity, God, to look into your word. God, I pray this morning you'd speak to us, God, in Jesus' mighty name. How many know what it takes to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Keep your eye on the ball. Don't drop the ball. To get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, I believe you have to be nominated, first of all, but to get it, you have to be able to get up to bat and hit at least 300 batting average. That means you miss seven times out of 10. So it's not very good odds. I mean, if you only hit it 30% of the time, you know. There you go. <laughs> if you did that at work, or, or you, you uh, only uh, performed uh, uh, 30%, say you wrote a check for $300, but you, or $1,000, and you only had $300 in your checking account, <laughs> the ball would bounce. <laughs> you'd lose. And then you'd get charged all kinds of fees, and you could even go to jail for it. Raise God. So... The reason I said all that is to say this. We're looking in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the hall of fame of faith. All right? So that's, that's the reason I brought the baseball. I was going to bring a baseball bat too and try and hit a few uh, home runs here, but praise God, we broke too many windows when I was a kid. I remember went back to my parents' house for a visit and uh, I couldn't believe how skinny the street was now that I got older. <laughs> and we used to play baseball on the street and hockey and football. Praise God. The Hall of Faith. So we want to begin at verse 1. It says, Now faith is. You'll notice. It's a two-part definition. Let's see. Is, is the red button is the pointer? Ah, ah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, comma, and the second part, the conviction of things not seen. A two-part definition or explanation. Now, this is not a complete definition of faith. I like what it says in some of the other... Uh, this is the ESV version. In the New, Re- New Revised Standard Version, it says it's the assurance of things hoped for. Matthew Henry's commentary says it's being sure of what we hope for. In the King James, it's the substance of things hoped for. The New American Bible, it's the realization of things hoped for. In the Amplified Bible, it's the assurance, the confirmation of And I like this one, the title deed of the things we hope for. The Phillips translation says it means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for, being sure of what we hope for. It's a description of its great characteristics in relation to the writer's exhortation. Remember at the end of chapter 10, he says, you need to persevere. He's in, whoever wrote the book, letter to the Hebrews, he says, you know, you're going to go through some hard times. Life's not going to be a bowl of cherries. It's gonna, not going to be, you know, smooth and easy sailing all the time. And you'll need to persevere. And the way you persevere is you exercise faith. 
In uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, Paul writes and he says, you know, um, the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared of the future glory. Anybody have problems in this life? The other day, I don't know what I did, but my shoulder hurts. I went to lift up my coffee pot and oh my goodness. Anybody have financial problems? Anybody have any problems? They're temporary. They're not going to last forever. Hallelujah. Goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, all of creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 21. There's, that's one of the things we hope for. Eventually, all of this decay that we see, all the erosion, everything that eventually is going to pass away is going to be replaced and renewed by the new birth, by the recreation, so to speak, when Jesus comes back and the restoration of all things is at hand and we finally see it. This is our hope, and we can put faith and trust in that. <clears throat> in classical Greek, originally the word group of, uh, concerning faith denoted conduct that honored an agreement or a bond. Faith is an action word. I like what uh, the uh, Greek philosopher Euripides has to say. <laughs> He's quoted as saying, he who hears the word of God and does not obey is out of his mind. <laughs> he who hears the word of God, whoever hears the word of God and refuses to obey is nuts, is insane. They're out of their mind. Why? Because <laughs> the word of God is true. Because the word of God is steadfast. Because we have exceeding great and precious promises. In Peter's letter it says, these great and exceeding precious promises have made us to become partakers of the divine nature. I have a small booklet at home Kathy bought off of Amazon. <clears throat> it's called Calling Things That Are Not As Though They Are. And the whole premise is not that you deny the existence of things that are problems but you call into existence, so to speak, God's hand upon things. By His stripes, we are healed. By His uh, wounds, we're healed. We're saved because of what Jesus did. Earlier in the letter to the Hebrews, we read that uh, our, our, our salvation and our faith is based on better promises. Hallelujah. In uh, Vine's Dictionary, there's three main um, definitions of faith. The first is a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's revelation of truth. When you and I read the Word of God and we look into our Bible and we read it as not just a book, but as God's actual living words to us, it changes things. If, if you when you read, like Pastor Wayne was saying yesterday at the men's meeting, you can read the same thing over and over again and every time see something new. That's the glorious thing about the Word of God. Secondly, faith particularly is a personal surrender to God. 
The Bible says that we're supposed to surrender to God. It's a battle of the wills. I have a, I, um, been reading uh, the autobiography of uh, Oswald Chambers. And the name of the, the, auto, the biography is Abandoned to God. Here's a young man when he was a teenager. He uh, went to a meeting and uh, his dad was a minister. They went to a meeting at um, the uh, Tabernacle in London and C.H. Uh, Spurgeon was preaching. But he didn't give an altar call. So on the way back to where they were staying, Oswald, I think he was 16 or 14 at the time, turns to his dad and says, you know what? If they would have given an altar call, I would have given my life to Jesus. And guess what his dad did? His dad said, son, you can do that right here, right now on this sidewalk. And they did. He prayed and he invited Jesus to be the Lord of his life. And the rest, they say, is history. He surrendered his will to God. Thirdly, faith is uh, um, defined as conduct inspired by surrender. The object of faith is not God's promise, but faith rests on God himself. Our faith is in God. Our faith and our trust and hope is in what Jesus did for us is more than enough to make us good enough to have a relationship with God. That's God's desire is to have a relationship with all people. The problem is that sin separates people from God. In Strong's Dictionary or Concordance, faith is defined as especially relying upon Christ for salvation. People have faith in all kinds of stuff. They have faith that when they go to the wall and they turn the switch on, the lights will come on. They have faith that when uh, they go uh, to work, they're going to get paid. That's a form of faith. But what we're looking at is saving faith. In Matthew, or Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 15, Jesus comes preaching and says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This, by the way, was written after Jesus' resurrection, and the focus, according to uh, some reading that I did, of the early New Testament church was to spread the gospel, the good news that God loves people and wants a relationship with them, and that saving faith is what you put when you put your trust in Jesus. You repent from dead works and you put your faith in God. And that was the message and still is the message today. Praise God. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5, that it says that there are people who have tasted the powers of the world to come. They have had tasted, they had confidence that the future promises are present realities. Interestingly, Vine's Dictionary goes on to uh, um, define faith as a firm persuasion. Hallelujah. Are you fully persuaded? Those of you that are listening online, uh, first of all, welcome. Are you fully persuaded based on hearing? Remember Hebrew, or, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Are you fully persuaded? Have you heard the Word of God and put your faith and trust in it? And are you still believing? Are you continuing to believe? 
Praise God. The second part of the assurance of things hoped for is the conviction, or the King James calls it the evidence of things not seen. So how can an invisible thing be evidence? When I talked to my brother, younger brother Matthew, he's a detective in New York City, he said, you know, there's one animal that has testimony that's valid in the court of law. An animal? He says, yes, bloodhound. They have such an intense sense of smell that you can rely on them. He told me a story one time. They went to the scene of a shooting. They found some bullet casings on the floor. They brought the bloodhound in. <laughs> Had the bloodhound sniff the bullet casings. <laughs> he says the bloodhound sat down, just looked around, got up, went to the bathroom, sat back down again. Then it stuck its nose up in the air. <laughs> He says it took off and they followed him. And the dog led him to the apartment of the guy that put the bullets in the gun. <laughs> Praise God. Now that's evidence. And it was valid in a court of law. We have evidence or confidence in things not seen. Uh, the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says that it's a demonstration of things not seen. How many has seen Jesus? I haven't. But by faith, I believe Jesus is real. By faith, I believe, and I hope you believe also, that God is real. Hallelujah. And we perceive as fact what is not revealed to the senses. You can't smell God. You can taste, so to speak, in an allegorical sense, God. You can sense the goodness of God. You can sense the presence of God. But you haven't actually, I don't believe anyone in this room has actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. I have heard, and I'm sure you have heard, of uh, stories of uh, people, especially in the Muslim world, who have seen Jesus. Paul the Apostle saw Jesus face to face many times. Hallelujah. If you read the book of Acts. Glory to God. By faith alone, we are sure of eternal things that they are, that they actually exist. But by hope, we are confident that we shall have them. How many know that the reality of salvation is a present thing? That once you're saved, you can stay saved and you will be saved eventually in the end of time or if you go and depart from this life before the end of time. Glory to God. We have the hope of the resurrection from the dead. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you have salvation. Can you say amen? It goes on to say, by it, faith, the people of old, doesn't necessarily mean old people, received their commendation. How <laughs> I many know it's good to be old and saved, but it's also good to look at people who are an example. This is what it's talking about. People of old, they received the, the, the uh, a com commendation. Who were they commended by? God himself commended them. The King James says they obtained a good report. I like to hear a good report, don't you? Praise God. God testified about some of them favorably. He gave powerful testimony to the reasonableness and excellency 
of faith. When you look at the Bible and you see the things that's written in there, such as the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the only reasonable course of action is to follow up on the rest of it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. Hallelujah. What a blessing to receive that gift. I like to get presents, don't you? I used, when I was a kid, Christmas time was so exciting. Oh, we're going to get presents. We had no idea what we were going to get. And we opened them up. All right, we got what we wanted. Praise God. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Ephesians. Hallelujah. The reasonableness and excellency of faith. The only reasonable thing to do is to put your trust in Jesus and say, God, I can't save myself. In the Bible, in the book of Psalms, I believe it says uh, uh, that who can save their own soul or their brother? The cost is too costly, too much. You can't. No one can save themselves. We need a Savior. And it's the only reasonable thing to do is to put your trust in a Savior. Somebody has to pay for sin, and God sent His Son to pay for that. Hallelujah. It's the proof of things we do not see. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, a wonderful verse. I am persuaded. I am totally convinced that neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I remember a pastor one time giving his testimony. He said, uh, there was a woman who was coming to the church and she was married to a mafioso, a real mafioso guy. And he said one day the guy came to his office, came in the office, locked the door, and said, you know what? I can kill you. And the pastor had said, I told him, yes, you can. You can do whatever you want. But there's one thing you cannot do. You cannot separate yourself from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And he said the man broke down and cried and wept and gave his life to Jesus because he knew that, that he could not separate. Nothing can separate anyone from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, puts their faith and trust in him, would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, every single man, woman, or child through him might be saved. Over to God. Let's go on. By faith, we understand, we believe that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How many know that creation just couldn't have started all by itself. <laughs> it's impossible for anything to create itself out of nothing. It is impossible. I had a, a fellow tell me, I said, you know, why don't you thank God for all this? Oh, well, here, God didn't have nothing to do with it. 
But he didn't. Where do you think the oxygen came from that you believe, that you breathe? Where do you think the raw materials came for all the stuff you made here? It just didn't disappear, uh, just appear out of nothing. That's impossible. It's logically impossible for anything to create itself, to just pop out of nothing and just be there. It's crazy to... <laughs> it's impossible for something to create itself. It's impossible. There has to be a creator. Creation, how you say, betrays the existence of a creator. Something had to start it. There was nothing. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says these words, since the creation of the world, and that word in the Greek is the cosmos, which literally means an orderly arrangement, literally means a decoration. His, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and divine nature, so that people who deny the existence of God are without excuse. There's no excuse. You can be an atheist if you want, but how did you get here? Where did you come from? Where did the universe come from? It didn't just create itself. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, further on in the letter here, it says we're to look to Jesus. But you can't see Jesus with your eyes. So how do you look to him? It says, verse 3, that you consider him. And the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary adds this. Consider him in contrast to yourself. Compare yourself to Jesus and see where you stand. Hallelujah. You have no hope without Jesus. Can you say amen? Glory to God. It's the only reasonable thing to do if you compare yourself to Jesus who never sinned, that you and I need a Savior. Praise God. That was just my introduction. That all said, let's go on to chapter 11, verse 4. And now we get into the Faith Hall of Fame. Hallelujah. I love all these examples. These are great. These are, and interesting to note is that God doesn't choose, you know, the, the leader of, and all the people that follow the leader. God kind of chooses specific individuals. And the writer, uh, being inspired by God, says, you know what? Check this out. Here's faith in action. And this is really interesting to me because look what it says here. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Why? Because Abel brought the first fruits. And what did Cain bring? He just bring some, you know, any old stuff. Wasn't the first fruits, it was just the fruit of the ground. And Abel's sacrifice was an atoning sacrifice. How do we know this? Because Remember when Adam and Eve fell? <clears throat> they sewed fig leaves, of all things, to cover themselves up because we're, oh my God, we're naked. <laughs> God says, who told you you were naked? Like, like God didn't know. <laughs> anyway, God, God says, I'll tell you what, I'll fix this. And he gets one of the animals, and he kills the animal so they can give the skin to Adam and Eve to cover themselves. That's how we know that that's what they were supposed to do. 
bring an atoning sacrifice. Goes on to say, God said to Cain in verse four of chapter, verse ten of chapter four in Genesis. God says to Cain, "What have you done? Where's your brother?" He asks him in verse nine. Well, I don't know. Yes, you do, and God knew. Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, yes, you are. What have you done? Listen listen to these words. Because it says that though through Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. God tells, tells us as he's speaking to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. There's power in the blood. Power in the blood of Jesus. Power in the blood of Abel. Jesus even quotes uh, the Old Testament and says that, that the blood of Abel unto, uh, uh, I believe it was um, in Second Chronicles, the blood of, uh, I believe it's Zechariah, the priest, cries out. It speaks. And it testifies either for or against us. Hallelujah. Thank God that the blood of Jesus testifies for us. Can you say amen? Glory to God. He was commended by God as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When we give, I believe God's still doing that. When we give an offering and we give our gifts, God commends us, I believe. Hallelujah. Chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, talks about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God has taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Let's stop right there for a minute. Enoch was 65 years old, in chapter 5 of Genesis, he gives, has a, a son named Methuselah who lives to 969 years. And for the very first time in the Bible, in verse 22, it describes a person as saying that they walked with God. This is how he pleased God. Enoch walked with God. Doesn't say, you know, all the particular details, but it's a commendation or commending by God. After Methuselah was born, interestingly enough, Enoch lived for another 300 years. He lived 365 years. Guess how many days there are in a year normally? 365. Is that significant? I don't know. I just thought it was (laughs) interesting to note that Enoch walked that many years, and to me it indicates that we can walk every day with God. Hallelujah. Every day we can walk with Jesus. Where's that? I forget who it was. Uh, there was a radio show. They'd open up with a song, Every Day with Jesus is greater than the day before. Hallelujah. Every day with Jesus. I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I'd sing it, but my voice is going. (laughs) Hallelujah. Verse 6, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Isn't that good news? God exists. And in order to get rewarded by God, God gives rewards. We need to seek God. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 17. Verses 22, verse 33, Paul's waiting for his friends to re- come to back to Athens where he is, and he says, My heart was stirred up within me because I saw the whole cities given to idolatry. There's statues of gods everywhere. And he says, uh, he gets to meet with the philosophers. That was a big deal back then, uh, the Greek and Roman philosophers. And all their questions are answered in the Bible, by the way. Anyway, so Paul's there. And he gives a sermon to them. He says, you know, I've seen one of your things as the unknown God. He says, I know that God. And he begins to preach and tell them about God, the creator. And that God has set allotted periods or time frames and boundaries. And the reason God did that is so that men should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. And he quotes a couple of uh, uh, Greek philosophers. The uh, commentary I read, it says that the one quote, in him we live and move and breathe and have our being, comes from probably the Greek philosopher Epimenides of Crete, And then Paul quotes one of their poems, a poem by a man named Eratus. We are indeed his offspring. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the opposite of that ad is true. The inverse, that it is possible to please God by trusting him, by having faith in him. Lord of God. He is not far from each one of us. We are to earnestly seek God. God says in, uh, I believe it's Jeremiah, you will find me and you will seek me when you seek for me with all of your heart. Go on, the next guy, Noah. Big man on campus, Noah. (laughs) He's building an ark. Everybody, every day watches and comes and nobody believes him because it's never rained on the earth. Why should we believe all that? But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah walked with God and God told Noah of events yet unseen and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith, because we trust God, it makes us righteous. We can't become righteous on our own. And interestingly, Noah is the first person in the Bible, as you read it chronologically, that is declared righteous. No one before him, you notice that uh, uh, Abel walked with, or Enoch walked with God, and then Noah walked with God, and it says that Noah was called righteous because he trusted God. He put his faith in God. 
And you know the rest of the story? Him and his household were saved. Another thing I wanted to note, and we'll look at it with Abram also, is that faith speaks. When you have faith in God, when you tell people about Jesus, you are expressing your faith. I got saved, you tell somebody. And they look at you like you're crazy. And you need to get saved. And sometimes they get saved. You tell them how? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. I was reading uh, another book. And I actually got this book many years ago from uh, Brother Frank Campista from the 22nd Street Church who recently went on to his eternal reward. And it's by Brother Kenneth Hagen. Not Kenneth Hagen Jr., but Kenneth Hagen Sr. He was a teenager. He's dying. And, and he begins, to, he says, I begin to speak the word of God. He was able to get out of bed, went to work in a nursery, skinniest guy there. And he would tell people, the Lord is my strength. And he'd last the whole day. And they'd say, oh, let's see if you come back tomorrow. The next day he'd come back today. The Lord is my strength. It's summertime. And he says, there's one big guy, 240-pound guy. Oh, I bet you can't last the whole day. Well, the Lord is my strength, he would say. And they'd look at him like he was crazy. And he outlasted the big guy. The big guy fell out. And he came back to work every day. And faith speaks. You'll notice, and, and the, we'll see how this hap come, plays out with Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Thank God we have an inheritance waiting for us. And God has promised it. And Abram went out not knowing where he was going. Anybody ever kind of feel like you have no idea what God's doing? Just obey God, trust God, do what you know to do, and keep on keeping on because eventually God's going to bring everything out right. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as an, in a foreign land as a foreigner living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And this was the promised land specifically that it's talking about. But verse 10 says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. It's kind of a rare thing in construction for uh, the architect to actually be the builder also. In my opinion, it might be a good thing because then the architects can draw drawings that make sense and that uh, they know what they're doing instead of going to college and you know just learning a few things and, and getting uh, paper knowledge and not knowing how things get put together. My brother Philip uh, took some classes on uh, drafting and he said, yeah, we just draw the pictures and then we give it to the engineers to see if it'll work. Engineer has to figure it out, see if it, the stress will uh, actually hold the uh, Steinway Grand Piano Company. Mr. Steinway was given an uh, honorary degree in engineering because uh, of his design for the piano. He was able to bring harmony out of stress. Anybody ever try to move a big grand piano? God, they're heavy. But there's stress, there's tension on all those strings. And you can turn the knobs to get the strings to sound right. And it's beautiful sound. I think the piano is one of the most amazing instruments. It has such a range of, of, of notes. Praise God. But the engineers had to 
you know, they had to figure out, oh, you know, if we do this. Many years ago, one of the older carpenters I worked with said, yeah, they sent out some young kid from, he just got out of college, and, and he asked us, you know, well, how can we build the forms like this? Well, the concrete pushes this way and that way. And, oh, okay. And he says, years later, I saw our forms had been patented by the company. <laughs> I felt robbed. Those are my forms. But he understood what he needed to do to be able to hold the concrete. Concrete's heavy. One cubic foot of concrete weighs 150 pounds. Puts 150 pounds of pressure each way. The next foot is 150 pounds, but it adds 150 to the bottom foot. So two feet on the bottom's got 200 or 300 pounds, and so on. So you have to be able to withstand the stress and the pressure. Thank God that he's a good engineer. Can you say amen? He knows how to help us handle the stress. How do we do that? We give it to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Abram. By the way, he wasn't named Abram when he was Abraham when he was born. He was named Abram. And this is why I was saying that faith speaks. Because uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to him and says, Your name is Abram, I got this and that for you. And then in verse 15, he says, Here are some more promises. You're going to have a son. Hallelujah. And he's chapter 17, he's 99 years old. Oh, you're going to have a son. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. And then Sarah hears the news. She's uh, 99 or 90 years old. You're going to have a son. <laughs> she laughs. <laughs> I'm an old woman. I forget that. You know, and uh, goes on. <clears throat> a miracle takes place. Hallelujah. And she does. But God changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, the father of many nations. And as I heard one preacher say it, you know, he speaks. My name is Abraham, the father of many nations. And people look at him like he's crazy. Well, where's all your kids? You don't have any, you're an old man, you don't have any kids yet. How could you be the father of many nations? Because by faith, he agreed with God. And he spoke and said, yes, I believe you, God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. They were sojourners. And then it goes on, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age she considered him faithful who promised. Even though she laughed, she still believed God. Abraham, even though he was old, and the Bible says he's just as good as dead. They didn't have uh, Viagra back then. <laughs> he was as good as dead, and it still worked, and he's still, he's 100 years old, and he has a son. That's, that's impossible today. Praise God. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14 God is visiting them, and Sarah laughed. No, I didn't laugh. She says, ha, is anything too hard for the Lord? Matthew chapter 8, verse 25 through 26, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him this, that, and the other thing. And then he finally says, well, I identize. Okay, what else you got to do? Sell everything you've gotten. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And he says, oh, I can't do that. I got a lot of stuff. It's not a good thing when God tells you to give something up, to hold on to it. Can you say amen? And then, then the, the uh, 
Jesus says, you know, with the rich, it's almost impossible, very hard to get saved. And uh, the apostles or the disciples say to Jesus, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus says, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So Sarah, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That's a lot of kids. And all descended from Abraham. Hallelujah. We are descendants from Noah, if you believe the Bible. And we are descendants of Abraham also. Abraham is our father in faith. So we have the same faith that Abraham had. Can you say amen? Just a second. I have to read this to you because this strikes me as really funny, kind of. When Oswald Chambers passed away, the news was sent to England by a telegram. And all it said was, Oswald in his presence. No explanation. And many of the people that knew him were, were, were saddened, but they, they, they knew that, you know, it was uh, a good thing. But listen to what uh, a letter to uh, a pastor named Pastor Lambert from Oswald Chambers. It says, Praise God for your report that the devil is paying attention to you. What kind of, praise God, what? <laughs> so long as he keeps firing at us, you may depend he thinks that we are worth watching. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anybody have problems? Anybody feel like the devil's firing at you? Praise God. That means you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Anybody have people that criticize you, that always find fault with you, as ah, you're a Christian, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have a, a, <clears throat> a person that uh, always constantly seems to be looking down on me that, you know, uh, I, I'm, not as, uh, I'm not as young as he is, so <laughs> he can work faster than me, and it's always like, you know, ah, ah, ah. whatever. I know what I do, and I know you know, what I can do, and I know what he can do, and we're different. But it, sometimes it seems like the enemy, and, and I, I witnessed to him, and he uh, wants, doesn't need Jesus, you know. He, he's going to trust and believe that his good deeds are going to outweigh his bad deeds, but he's got to do a lot more good deeds. <laughs> Did anybody ever have the enemy harass you in your mind? That's where most of the battle takes place. Well, praise God if the enemy is harassing you because that means you are worthy of his attention. You are worthy because he knows that his time is short and that God is working in your life. Hallelujah. And then we'll close with uh, chapter 11, 13 through 16. 
But these all died in faith. And chapter 11 goes on to talk about a lot more besides these ones. They did not receive the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, acknowledge that this is not our permanent home. Have you little kids say, oh, this is taking forever. You're never going to be on earth forever. You're going to be in heaven forever if Jesus is your Savior. Hallelujah. So we're sojourners. We're pilgrims here. Can you say amen? People who speak like that, remember I said faith speaks, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Hallelujah. I am so glad that this is not our permanent home. I'm so glad. One of the strangest verses in the Bible is in the book of Revelation where towards the end it says, let him who is filthy be filthy still and let him who is clean be clean still. It's like, what? what? Don't you want everyone to be clean, God? Yeah, but there's people that just won't obey because this is their home, so they think. But our homeland is in heaven. And if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Remember when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they're out of, get out of slavery and, and God does amazing things. They got the 10 plagues on the Egyptians and then uh, they get to the Dead Sea or the Red Sea and God parts the sea and they go through on dry land and then it covers up the Egyptian army and they go out and, uh, and uh, they get hungry and they're thirsty and they start whining. Oh, we missed the leeks and the garlic. Okay. It would have been better. Let's go back to Egypt and be slaves again. Good grief. They would, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back. Thank God they didn't. Thank God that God used Moses to speak some sense into them. But as it is, they and we desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I am so looking forward to getting to heaven where no one will steal from you. No one will lie to you. No one will cheat you. Everyone will love you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God. He has prepared for them and us a city. Hallelujah. Psalm 116 verse 10. Paul quotes it in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13. Since we have the spirit of faith, we have the same faith that Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, we have the same faith that they have. According to what is written, Psalm 116, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak and tell people they need to get saved. And we tell people, I am saved. Hallelujah. Excuse me. And tell people that God loves them with an everlasting love. Hallelujah. And that there is eternal reward. And that there is reward here on earth that God wants to touch people's lives. God wants to refresh you and I with his presence. God is always with us, but we're not always aware of it. We should pray, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes, God. Hallelujah. Don't look too far ahead. <clears throat> but trust God day in and day out. Every day, his mercies are new. Every morning, 
daily he loads us with benefits. Jesus said there's enough trouble for one day to worry about too much about tomorrow. Do not worry. God is the engineer. God is the author and finisher of our faith. God is the one who supplies all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't worry if the enemy's harassing you. That means you're in a good spot. If there's no resistance, you might be going the wrong way. Can you say amen? <laughs> Praise God. But God is good. God is great. Hallelujah. And he loves us so much. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Hallelujah.